Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Wrong Kind of Christian podcast. I'm your host, Megan Martin. And today I have S. Daniel Smith um, in the studio with me. Well, actually, via airwaves with me. (laughs) And um, he's an author. And I'm going to just kind of turn it over to you and ask that you kind of give us the rundown. Who are you? Well, first of all, Megan, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate that. And uh, and just call me Dan from now on. yeah, I am a an author. I'm also a career Navy Chief Warrant Officer. Uh, I'm a husband. Uh, my wife and I are celebrating 20 years uh, together as this show is, uh, or this episode is airing. Oh, congratulations. And, uh, thank you. And um, and I have three children, and I, I, I think that sums me up pretty well, as best it can. <laughs> I bet you'll find throughout this conversation that uh, there's more to it that that comes up because I'll ask you about some of that. But uh, the reason we are talking is um, I have posted a review of your um, a latest book, I guess, Saving Ebenezer. And well, will you tell us a little bit about that? And I'm most curious about uh, what exactly made you decide that that you were going <laughs> to write about this and like what gave you the inspiration? Because I will tell you that every time I tell someone what I'm doing, I get, or what I'm reading currently, I get two reactions. One person will say, wow, that's really intriguing. And then the next person will go, wow, that's really gutsy to take such a beloved story and continue it on. So tell us about how you got to Saving Ebenezer. I grew up really loving and don't laugh too hard or, or judge me too much, but I, I grew up loving the uh, Muppets, a Christmas Carol. And uh, that was my real, probably first um, exposure to the Dickens classic. And then in my young adult and adult years, I became more familiar with it. I really enjoy the plot, the characters. I really love the characters actually of the, the original of the Dickens story. But the thing that has always kind of, kind of not set with me very well is, you know, we got to a resolution in the story, but I didn't feel like that's really it. And if you know the, the story behind him writing the story, it's pretty, pretty easy to, to see why there's, there's, you know, all this open space because of his timing and, you know, kind of the whirlwind that was going on at the time. But Um, but I just wasn't like, that wasn't the end of the story to me. That was just, you know, kind of the next beginning, if you will. And so I began asking myself, and and I think some of this is, uh, led from God and, you know, I guess, you know, some of your listeners may disagree if they've read it and, and don't think that, I guess, but, uh, or you for that matter, um, but I, I started thinking, you know, well, well, what would happen next? Like what? you know, is that really the end? Because I really kind of feel like that is just kind of the beginning of another story. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I mean, it's been several years since I first got that idea, but then a couple of years ago, I sat down in earnest and, and, and really asked myself that question. So I don't think I would call it gutsy. 
I just was looking for what the real end was. And so I decided to sit down and do it since Charles Dickens can't now. So yes, that's true. I was really um, intrigued with or impressed, I guess, with some of the, the details that you brought back into the story, things that um, like I always kind of wondered, you know, what happened to uh, like you, I didn't grow up watching um, the Muppet, the Muppets version, but of course I had Mickey Mouse, right? He was, he was the one that I was watching and I always wanted to know what happened to his lady friend. And I was so excited to see that you brought her back. And yeah. so, so what kind of, um, you know, it was an interesting take. You, you didn't, um, uh, you didn't necessarily follow the same uh, route to to Scrooge's enlightening as as Dickens did. You kind of you went a, a little bit different di- uh, diff- direction. Let me get the words out there. A different direction. So what um, what was your purpose for that? What were you kind of hoping to uh, to a- accomplish with this book? Like you know, author's intended purpose. What was what was your purpose for this? Oh, yeah, that's a good catchphrase. Um, I wanted to take Scrooge to the enlightenment, to the aha moment in the same overall style that Dickens did. But because I am, uh, I would say not just a Christian, but of the Baptist persuasion in Christendom that I I felt a little bit kind of weird to use kind of a bad word for it. Like I felt just a little off by using ghosts and I didn't want to bring them back Um, Because they had already served their purpose uh, in the original. And so so I didn't do it that way. And really, he did a great job by doing it of the three guides to get Scrooge to the end point. And I didn't want to use those same three, but I did need a guide. And so that's where uh, one of the characters came from in the story. And that's Henry. I don't know if you plan to get to him or not. But um, so he served the purpose of the guide. And, and then, of um, the aforementioned, uh, old friend of his comes back in there at one point as well. Um, uh, but that's really the, the way. So yes, different in that it wasn't the, the looking at his specific, specific actions throughout his life, uh, like the Christmases of, uh, ghosts of past, uh, present and yet to come, but, but still having the guides, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I, um, I I hope that everyone will go out and check this book out because, you know, I, we've talked about faith on here, but Christian or not, um, believer or not, this is a great story if you've had questions about how the story ends or maybe what comes next. So um, I hope that they'll go go check that out. And um, I will, of course, link that and it'll be in the official review on, on the blog as well. So um, they will be able to find that for you. But um, tell us about your others because this isn't your only book. So what else are you I, I know that you are a sci-fi fan. I am. So, yeah. you know, are you writing other books? Are, are they sci-fi books or is that just a genre that you enjoy reading? Um, so science fiction, I have always wanted to write in the science fiction field. And I have written several short stories in the science fiction field or genre, if you will. And um, and I'm still doing a lot of learning in cra- uh, how to do craft in that world and that genre. And so I would not say that I am ready to be published necessarily, but it is a dream of mine to be published in the science fiction category. I think it's uh, it's fun. I think what you can do with it, um, I think there's just a lot of options for an author 
especially one who daydreams as much as I do about uh, space and, you know, shooting bad guys in alien form and all that kind of stuff with lasers. Uh, you know, I think you can do a lot with science fiction. And so I enjoy it. Um, I probably should have had my husband here for this conversation. <laughs> well, that's awesome. <laughs> Definitely more him than... I'll have to get on his show at some point. Um, uh, but, you know, so I enjoy it a lot. I'm a part of a writing group and we focus on uh, science fiction. Um, and so, and then of course, as you alluded, my fandom uh, took me all the way to starting a podcast where I talked to other authors about it. Um, so I am as yet unpublished as... Uh, or at least unofficially, or officially, I am still unpublished. Um, but I am enjoying learning more about the craft. I actually got my publishing start as a nonfiction writer. My first publishing credit was a was with the Pentecostal magazine, uh, which I know is ironic to some of the listeners who were like, "Didn't you just say Baptist?" But um, I actually wrote a article back in 2000 about me and a buddy of mine. Uh, he was Pentecostal, and of course, I'm Baptist, and. And it was a good article. Well, I don't know if it was a good article, but it was a good time writing it. And, uh, and it was my first actual credit. Um, and so I've had several, uh, somewhere around 20 um, credits in different periodicals, both online and uh, in print. And I've enjoyed that. Uh, I published some short nonfiction uh, books. Those are independently published because those were what were on my heart at the time, and they are of the religious category as well. Yeah. Um, Saving Ebenezer was something that was I felt put on my heart. It was something I needed to write, and I also independently published it for a host of reasons that we can talk about if you want, um, but it was important for me to do it. I do hope to continue writing in Christian fiction if, uh, if I'm able. Um, really, I guess... The whole thing comes down to I'm not ready to to say to pigeonhole myself into saying that I only write X Y Z. If sure. that makes sense, yeah. Sure, I was just going to say that's a that can be I would think a big jump between um, the sci-fi world and the nonfiction world, and you know how do you kind of correlate those? I I'm so curious about the um, the path to self-publishing and what that looks like. I I'm sure that it it has to be. Um, a lot more um, hours on the ground for you, so to speak. Like you have to do uh, quite a bit of work to get it out there and get it, you know, to readers. What uh, what made you decide to go that route? So I'll use um, I'll use Saving Ebenezer as the example since that's what we're talking about. Um, the path to self publication um, can be as easy as I put words on a page and I stick it on Amazon. Like it can be super easy, which is not fortunate for the rest of us. Uh, really, and, and if I look back at some of the stuff that I've written and then pulled from Amazon uh, because its quality was not where it should have been, uh, that is a, an unfortunate consequence of it being easy to, like at its base level, it's super easy to self publish. Um, especially with the advent of Kindle and Nork and all those. Um, but yes, to do it right, it is a lot more, a uh, lot longer process than what maybe people think it is. And it's a lot more labor intensive. So for example, no one is scheduling my podcast interviews for me. So, you know, even after the publication's done, um, you know, I listened to, podcast and then I you know reached out and contacted you and some other folks too so so even as far as like all the way from writing it 
to finding the editors that will work with me, to finding the beta readers who will then read it to make sure that, you know, there aren't typos, that there are, you know, aren't plot holes. You know, that's several months of uh, process and then getting it formatted right uh, so that there aren't, you know, weird line breaks um, so that sections aren't cut out. Right. Uh, things like that. Uh, finding a designer for the cover, which I had to do as well. Um, and then uh, doing the marketing afterwards. And so like setting up my own interviews, which I did last year, late last year, you know, we could do things in person still in November of last year. And so I did. Those were the days. Those were the days, right? Um, so all that has to be done by the individual, unless of course you have a lot of money to throw at it and then someone else can do it, but I don't. And so, uh, you know, yes, it is much more labor intensive, but if it is something that a, that an author goes into eyes wide open and with a, a specific intention to publish uh, by yourself or self-publishing, um, I think it can be a, a fun journey as well. You mentioned that you have a podcast. I, I shared with you that I, I started listening to that um, just to get some background and, and well, because I kind of got sucked into it. I'm an I'm an avid reader. So it, you know, have you have a lot of authors on and it's called uh, what is it called? Coffee in space. Coffee in space. Yeah. That's right. So I'm assuming you're a coffee drinker. And, um, what, uh, and where I'm going with this, honestly, is, uh, Hey guys, you need to go check out his own podcast and, and listen, because he has authors on there who, you know, are talking about their books and their processes and, and all of that. But I've really noticed that you tend to support the indie book scene. And I think I know why now, but it can sometimes be hard to find quality indie books. You said kind of a, a natural consequence of self-publication sometimes. Yeah. Where's your favorite place to go to find to find your reads? Um, I find that you can get them on Amazon. I know that that's the easiest place to find uh, both quality fiction and less than quality or quality, uh, less than quality in general. Um, I try and give, if a book looks interesting to me and it's clear that the author, even if it's an independent author, if it's clear to me that the author put the effort in to have a good cover to have a good write-up about it. If it's got some reviews, meaning the author, uh, even if it's just mom and dad, the author has gone to the effort of getting some reviews, I'll give it a try. And uh, I'll download a sample. Or uh, if I'm using Kindle Unlimited, which is another option, uh, it's like $10 a month or something, I think. And uh, and you can read, well, a lot of indie authors. My book is, is available on Kindle Unlimited as well. A lot of indie authors use Kindle Unlimited because it gets people exposed to their work or it exposes their work to the people. Um, so you can use all those. And then what I would say, because, you know, I know a lot of people think you know, Amazon, and I do too, in many ways, Amazon's the big bad wolf uh, in the, in most people's story. And I do want to support indie authors and indie bookstores. And so what I'll do is if I find an author I enjoy, then that's probably the last time I get their book for free. And so then I go and I start buying them. And, and if I can combine uh, you know, a, you know, a, a lesser known author with an indie bookstore, then I really feel like I've won. And of course, the other place to go is the good old library. Go, uh, go. I go to the library all the time. I get books. I've got library books on my desk right now. And uh, I give them, you know, 20, 30, 40 pages of my time. And if I like it, I keep reading. And then that's probably the last time I go there to get their book. And then I start right. buying it. So you mentioned earlier that you're in the Navy. Thank you for your for your service of that. 
Um, and you're a, a what was it? A chief warrant officer? Chief warrant officer. Which what does that mean? Nobody knows. Yeah, I was gonna say probably nobody knows really what that means. Um, I I spent 18 years in a, as an enlisted man, and I rose to the rank of E7, which is a chief petty officer in the Navy. And and then you have you know that's the enlisted side, and then for those who are familiar with how the general military structure works, then you have the officer side, which is your O1 through uh, oh, 10. And, um, and then there's this one section in the middle, which is the chief warrant officers. And so what the Navy especially does with us, but other branches have versions of this, the Navy basically promotes us to the officer ranks, but doesn't let us do anything except pretty much what we were already doing as a little people. <laughs> Very and so, good. Yeah. And that's good. That's smart of them. Um, because I'm fairly decent, uh, I'm, I'm fairly good at what I know. I'm, uh, I think, a pretty good uh, at middle management, uh, having been in the Navy 24 years now. Um, but ready to command a ship? No, that is not what the Navy wants from me, and that is not what my skill set is. So that's kind of where the chief warrant officers live, and we can have really great careers of near anonymity um, while uh, you know, kind of making things happen behind the scenes. What drew you to the Navy? Is it a family history, like tradition, or um, just something about it that you decided you were going to, you know, that was the the way you were going to go? Uh, it was pretty much the way I was going to go. My dad was in the Navy during Vietnam, and I remember growing up seeing a lot of his pictures from that time period. He'd take pictures of other ships nearby, and, uh, you know, I would hear stories every now and then. Um, of the places he he had been, I saw he had a little coin jar that had you know foreign money in it, and that always interested me. Um, I have a many service members in my family, um, both grandfather, both uh, biological grandfathers uh, flew in bombers in World War II. My aunt, uh, one of my aunts, was in the Air Force, uh, so we had plenty of service time. But uh, you know, my closest representative was my dad having grown up with him. And and I think the expectation was there that I was going to join the Navy. I hope he doesn't disagree with that if he's listening. Um, but I think the expectation was that I was going to join the Navy. My expectation was that I was going to join join the Navy. And I really wanted, I wanted to get out of Kansas for a while, to be honest, uh, um, although I miss it often. And, uh, and so that's kind of all the reasons why I joined the Navy, if that boils it down to something recognizable. That's true. I forgot to mention that we are both, uh, I am not a Kansas native. I am a, I'm a, I'm a Kansas transplant, but I'm in Kansas now. So I uh, failed to mention that earlier that this is a, we're, I'm from Cassville, Missouri. So right around Roaring River area. Man, I did not know that. Just me friendship. I I did not know you were from Missouri. Yes. So uh, then I met my husband and he said, Hey, you're coming to Kansas. And I said, I guess so. Even though, you know, in Missouri, it's like Kansas is the place we make fun of. So yeah, that's, that goes both ways, I'm sure. (laughs) So here we are. So how do you, um, how do you balance life? You are, um, you're in the Navy, you're an author, you're a podcast host, um, you're a blogger, you're, uh, can't leave off the fact that your dad and husband, you know, you have several duties here. What, what do you do to balance? How do you manage all that? Uh, some people would say, and my wife on some days would do this as well, would say, I'm not mal- balancing it very well at all. Um, 
but no, I, I try and just stay focused on, well, at least now there was a lot of growing going on, uh, for many years, but I try and focus on, uh, time blocks for things. And so when I'm at work, I'm at work, uh, during my lunch periods. Uh, sometimes that's when I do some writing, uh, or I do planning for podcasts. I have my podcast, uh, scheduling tools at work as well. So if I'm on lunch, I can, I can do that there. And then I just, I make sure I put it on the calendar. So the wife knows, uh, when I've scheduled a podcast interview, uh, I, I'd like to say, I try and make sure she knows about it ahead of time, not just that it's on the calendar. Um, but I'll just try and balance what's going on. And then when I am not doing that stuff, when it's family time, I, at least now in my older years, I try and make sure that the family is the only thing I'm doing. So it, that is a hard lesson to learn, I think, you know, and, yeah. and maybe something we don't always figure out until we're a little older. And unfortunately, maybe until our kiddos are a little older. And yeah. I just asked about how you balance life and you and I, or I've discovered through listening or maybe reading on your blog last night that you have um, a child with special needs and um, that's part of my world as well. I have a bonus son that has um, some special needs. And and I heard on your podcast that you have a, what is it, a freshman in college? I do. Is that right? Yeah. That is, a, you're changing your whole life season right now. Uh, yes. And it's, uh, in a, so that's my son um, who is uh, on the autism spectrum. Um, used to be called Asperger's, but uh, they have not broken that out anymore. So they have folded it back into the spectrum. And so he is at a university called Regent University. And yes, that has been an eye-opening experience and yet not completely outside. I mean, my wife went to went the traditional route through college and she went to a, uh, a Baptist school in Arkansas. So she kind of knew how to help our son kind of get settled in. And then, but, uh, but one of the biggest things has actually been at the same time, our oldest daughter is entering high school. So that she's a freshman in high school uh, while my son's a freshman in college. And that has been pretty eye opening as a dad. I don't know if my wife would feel the same way. Cause you know, I'm thinking of, I've let my baby girl go to yeah. high school and that's uh you know, I try to treat them the same insofar as those types of things are concerned, but that's super hard to do. And and she has cystic fibrosis, which is a different type of special need. Uh, we have to monitor uh, some medical things there and make sure that the school is on board with us to make sure that they're on our team, our daughter's team. So those are those are both things that we've had to manage, um, but, but things are going well. Good. I, um, I was curious. Uh, I, I know that at least... On, for our family, sometimes there are, are times of, of great difficulty with some of those. I mean, it happens with any kiddo. Uh, it just seems like our special needs kiddo keeps us on our toes a little bit more <laughs> than than our other two. How does uh, how does your faith help you get through some of those transitions, some of the difficult times? Uh, faith is the key component, and I'm not joking, and I'm not trying to you know treat it uh, flippantly. It's it really is a key component to the whole thing, and I'll give a quick example. The Navy uh, has a rule. Well, the, I think it's military wide actually, but the Navy has a rule that you can't live more. You can't be stationed more than 50 miles away from a treatment center. Uh, and yet a different part of the Navy wanted me to take a job a posting at a particular base that would be more than 50 miles away from a treatment center for, for our daughter. And we fought it 
because it was not good for our family to be that far away. And the Navy, at least this particular subset of the Navy said, um, we get it. You are more than welcome to move far enough on base to where you would be within 50 miles of a treatment center, but you are taking this posting. And I did not handle it as well as my wife handled it. Um, she wasn't done believing that God was going to take care of the situation. I was a, I was a little upset with, with God. And one of the biggest reasons I was upset is because I knew he was going to work it out. And that made me even angrier because uh, I felt at the time that I was kind of being drugged through the spiritual mud. And uh, there was uh, some pride issues at work there. And, you know, I, I got to, uh, you know, witness my own humbling through that process or one of the times I've been humbled. Um, but I, I did know, and I guess this is still faith at work. I didn't know it was going to work out, but I'd, my wife was a lot more positive about how it was going to work out than I was. Um, and yes, it did. Uh, we started talking to some people. Uh, really, we were talking to them in terms of, okay, it looks like this is going to happen whether we want it to or not. How can we be the best parents that we can be right now? How can we you know, get talking to the particular medical groups that we need to talk to so that we can get the care in the immediate area that we're going to be living in uh, for times that we can't get the 75 miles plus away or 100 miles in some cases to a treatment center. And I only draw that whole story out to say that in one of those conversations that we were having with a nurse practitioner on the base, the little small base that we were going to be on, she actually asked me point blank, do you want me to get this turned off? And I just couldn't believe that she would even say that because, I mean, I had tried to get it turned off and I couldn't get it turned off, this transfer. And I mean, no one no one doubts the power that a nurse has, but I just, I was like, you're up against the entire Navy. The entire Navy seems to want to make me go to this place. Um, but she made a few phone calls from her perspective and uh, made it clear to the Navy that she wasn't prepared to accept my daughter as a patient for the good of my daughter as the patient. And um, the Navy finally listened. It went back through review and we got stationed in another place. And it was really good that that happened because my daughter had four hospitalizations in the span of three years. And I am convinced that, you know, my own humbling moments, uh, notwithstanding, the whole point was God maneuvering us into the place where she could be cared for during those that three-year period. And so that's, you know, my faith was strengthened through that, first of all. And then secondly, uh, I think going in with faith, even, even with the negative feelings I had at the time, going into the situation with faith in God that it was going to work out helped us uh, just make the take the next indicated step to get to the answer that we needed to get to. How is it going for you guys with um, all the COVID stuff? Do you guys, uh, you know, you, your son's in college. Are the, are you expecting him to uh, be home more, you uh, know, more extended time than what would typically be the case? Or so for college, they've actually stayed in person at the local uh, university. At the uh, he lives at home and uh, and commutes to college. Uh, what they did, though, was they started their semester a little early and they front loaded some events uh, and some timelines so that they could end before Thanksgiving. Uh, I think they wisely saw ahead to know that as winter came on, it was going to be harder to keep people in class uh, because of COVID. So they front loaded the schedule a little bit so that by Thanksgiving, the semester is over. And that means a longer break. So 
I'm sure he, I'm sure he'll enjoy that fact. Uh, (laughs) I was going to say the college kids are just heartbroken. I know. I'm sure Uh, he may be heartbroken after I make some plans for him, but uh, but he doesn't know that yet. But, uh, but that was their plan. Uh, Now our daughters found out yesterday that their very limited time in school was put on complete hold. So we in Virginia beach where we live now, the uh, Virginia beach has made the decision to go all virtual, which that causes some issues. Uh, you know, it's it's better, it's smarter, especially with a, a daughter who has a lung disease. We don't need to be putting her in a position to get another lung a virus that affects the lungs. But um, but it's hard not to be in school. It is. My kiddos, um, well, one of them is uh, after Thanksgiving, they're just, they go remote completely. Like that was always the plan. So we've been trying to make preparations. But so we are, um, this will be published right before Thanksgiving. So moving into this holiday season, what is something that you guys do as a family that you're, what are you most looking forward to this year? I am looking forward to Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, you know, <laughs> That's a very manly <laughs> answer. <laughs> um, no, but it's, uh, it is one of the things that, you know, my wife and I came from very different family backgrounds and, uh, and she's the big city girl and I'm the small town guy. And, and so we just came from different cultures. And it's always been difficult to kind of really meld those two situations, those cultures that we came from. But the one thing that we've managed, I think she, I think she'll agree with me, that we've managed to pull off is, is Thanksgiving dinner. And sometimes it's with big family get together. Sometimes it's on travel when we try and get back home, either to Texas where she's from or back to Kansas. Uh, you know, whatever it is, it is still a family uh, holiday. And so we, we try and do Thanksgiving right. And then, of course, we enjoy football as a family. She's a diehard, diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. And Oh, no. I mean, it is heart-wrenching how diehard she is. And and so we will be watching football later in the day and, um, and praying that it goes well to, this year. And uh, <laughs> Makes everybody a little happier. <laughs> happy wife, happy life. So, uh, go Cowboys, at least on Thanksgiving Day. And then, um, uh, actually, that's about the only day I'll root for them. But anyway, that's a different story. Um, but that's what we do, and it's tradition. We have our big lunch, uh, lunch, dinner, late lunch thing. And last year, we had our church group over. We moved during the summer, so we don't have the church group here anymore. And we haven't found our new church yet, a lot due to covid it's a hard process and yeah, even more so finding a new church. We've transferred, I don't know how many times in, in our married lives now, but uh, it's hard enough to find a new church. Uh, it's harder still when you have to either reserve a seat ahead of time or uh, just watch it online. And it's not, it's, it's not fun, but you know, we're still going to do it. Uh, it'll just be us this time. Awesome. Well, Dan, I thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us about saving Ebenezer. Um, go find the links and um, we will uh, wish you a um, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Uh, you too. Uh, Merry Christmas and, and happy new year. I hope your uh, 2021 starts uh, better than 2020 is ending.